asked me why I was wearing um, this microphone the way I am, this one over my ear, and it's because I was going to stand over here. I've had a number of people ask me, when I wear my microphone, some people wear it on their tie, I wear it on my lapel, and I always wear it on the right side. I don't know why, it's just where I put it. And so when I turn like this, then you can't hear me. So I've been, and now, it's funny because I put this on after the Sunday school class, and I went in the office and put it on, and I came out. Now, every Tuesday night, I wear one of these, so that Mrs. Dryley, because I'm in another room, and so the microphone that I use is this when I'm in that room. And I came out of my uh, office and ran into Travis, and he commented immediately on the fact that I was wearing it. And I said, yeah, this is why I don't do this normally, because it feels awkward, and I guess it must look awkward. Uh, but I want you to be able to hear me. So if I turn my head, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? You should be able to hear me. Amen. All right, so if you see on the screen here, we begin this morning a series. Um, this, is, this is not normal. Uh, I recognize that typically, one, I don't do a series of messages. We study one book after another. I believe it's the best way for you to be grounded in the Word of God is to start in chapter 1, verse 1 of whatever book God is showing you something and just go through it. And in other words, this allows the Word of God to establish its own context. When you do what I'm getting ready to do, I'm hoping what, what I'm getting ready to say, you'll recognize in its context as we're going through it. But the, the difficulty with this kind of presentation is people can use their Bible to say whatever they want to say. In other words, they can pick a verse here and a verse here, half a verse there, half a verse there, and they can make the Word of God say things that the Word of God doesn't actually say. And so that can be dangerous. But um, not that long ago, sometime in January, actually, uh, I think it was on a Thursday night, we were discussing a young lady that had just been saved, and I believe, uh, it, maybe, maybe Drew did, but I think Gary Paul actually said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had something, if we had something that we were confident that everyone who's just saved would be able to learn these things and it would be beneficial for them as they continued in their life. If they could remember these few things, remember this and continue to grow as you walk with God. And, uh, and so as that was said, I thought, yes, what would be the first steps? How could we help someone to lay hold of these things? And so from that point till now, I have been going over these things in my heart and mind and what we have is this, the, the word step, you see S-T-E-P-S, it's all capitalized. We could have put periods after each one of them. It's an acrostic, S-T-E-P-S. Five things, five things that I believe. But it's not called first steps because what I realized as I was beginning to put this together is I believe that every one of us would be benefited if we could remember these five things from the time we're babies until the time just before we go home to be with God. These five things, the first one's going to have an S, and then a T, E, P, S. And what we'll do is we'll do this, my, my desire, and, it's, and, and boy, am I aware of how difficult this is probably going to be, and it will be um, rushed a little bit perhaps this first time because of it, is to do one letter on one Sunday. So one Sunday morning. So this Sunday morning we have S, and then T, and then... Now next Sunday morning, I was going to do this in April, because there are five Sundays. But because I'm a moron back in January, I hadn't thought about the fact that one of those would be Easter. And so today we do the S because next week we'll have the Easter services and then the T will come the week after that. So this is the idea. So you'll see at the bottom here, I guess I'll, let me get this uh, uh, in my hand. Hopefully James will make sure it works if I don't make it work correctly. But what I want you to see is S is for Savior, lesson one of five. 
S is for Savior. This is really important. S is for Savior. I would say this. If you only remember one of the things in these five S-T-E-P-S. Now, by the way, there are two S's, right? If you remember Savior. Remember Savior. Now, I want to be, be emphatic about this. So what I want you to notice is this. Please, please hear this. This is critically important. S is for Savior. Savior. Not just our salvation. Now, some of you will recognize this, this foundation and superstructure. What this is saying is, this is foundational. This is built on that. The building that we are in right now, most of you are aware, burned completely down six years ago. Everything but the foundation was destroyed. But the foundation wasn't destroyed. We changed the way the building was built when we rebuilt it, but what we didn't have to change was the foundation. So the foundation of everything having to do with walking with God is your Savior, okay? Now, your salvation is built upon your Savior. Now, why do I say that? Why am I being so emphatic? Because there are many people who talk about salvation as if salvation was something they were doing or something the church was doing or something the, the elders in their church were doing. No, no. If you don't have Jesus, who is the Savior, as your Savior, I'm not your Savior. Tidewater is not your Savior. No church is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. And it matters that you understand that. Your salvation is only as great, as sure, and as strong as your Savior. And so I want you to understand. In fact, I could almost say amen and go home. But what I want you to see, and here's the thing. So now, so S is for Savior. So now in the next however many minutes, I won't commit to any right now. So now in the next few minutes, I can only say a couple of things. And, and by the way, you're going to think, oh, why didn't he point out this? And, I'll, and the answer is going to be because I only have six points, not 40. Really. There's, there's, from, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, your Bible is about your Savior. And your salvation, but it's all because of who Jesus is. Every single bit of it. Oh, how America needs to see how great Jesus is. I am so sorry. I really am. I am so sorry. I, you know, I preached the funeral of a 14-year-old who was killed accidentally by, with a gunshot wound to the head uh, just a few weeks ago. And, and there are so many kids there. And these poor kids go to school day after day, week after week, year after year, and they're told that they are accidents, cosmic accidents. But you're not. There's a great God that loves you, that created you created the earth that you're walking on, and he knows you, and he knew that you were going to need to be rescued. He knew. Now, listen, this is a free will issue, if you understand what I'm saying. Why did I need to be rescued? Because of what I did. Do you understand? God gave me a free will, and I used that free will to mess up my life and hurt many people, and Jesus came to save me from that. Not to just save me from the consequences of what I've done, but to save me from me. So, no, boy, I tell you what, if you weren't in the Sunday school classroom in this room uh, today, you need to go, Don taught today in this room, go online, listen to it. It's a tremendous blessing. If you're a new creature, you will be so blessed by the truth that Jesus will overcome all sin in our lives by his power. Our flesh will never get over sin, but praise God, our flesh is not going to heaven. But now, here, now, you don't have to be 
sin no longer has dominion over us. Now, let's turn from here. Okay, see where it says point one. If you're keeping notes, you'll see this is at the top of each one, right? Steps of faith, S is for Savior. Point number one, this is what's going to change. Point number one, point number two, there are six points. Write these in your notes. Please write the references. If nothing else, write the references so that you can come back and look at these later, okay? Write the references. So point number one, let me get my notes out. I've got notes here. This is really difficult for me. I, am, I do not, uh, and it's funny because I, tell John, I told John James when he was teaching Sunday school, please put a keynote together. It's really helpful for us when you put a keynote together. It takes me 10 times longer to put the keynote together than it does to get my notes together because I'm so OCD. I just, it's just how it works out. So hopefully that looks great. I hope it looks great. It took me a long time for that slide to look just like that. Amen? No, not this picture. Let's try another picture, that kind of a thing, all right? And I mean that. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm sorry that it's true. But anyway, so here it is. Here's what I want you to notice. These are the points. This is the main passage. This is a little part of that passage. And then in some of these, there'll be some other passages over here. Please get the passages. Please write them down. Go over them yourself later. I'm going to make uh, communication concerning what the, what the Word of God says. But what you need is what the Word of God says. The Word of God is powerful all by itself. Honestly, the Word of God does not need the help of any preacher, and preachers need to get over thinking that God gave the Word, and then he gave bishops. He did truly give us, uh, the pastors to the churches, to be a help, but only to point us to the Word of God. So God is salvation. Now, why do I say that? Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. I'm going to read it out loud. You can follow along as I read. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or Jesus was born like this. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, so they had no physical relationship, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now you can go and look at this. God came to Mary and asked her, would it be all right with you if I used your body so that my son can come to the earth? And her answer was, be it unto thine handmaid according to thy will, O Lord. In other words, whatever you want, Lord, I'll be willing. Now what God is asking her is this. People are going to think that you have an illegitimate son, that you had something, a kind of relationship that you're not supposed to have, and you're going to have this for the rest of your life. Is that okay? And she said, it's okay. It's okay. She was willing. And by the way, when Joseph, when Joseph finds out, let's see what happens. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Because he found out that this was true, he said, wow, she's been with some other man I still love her. I still care about her. I don't want to embarrass her. I don't want them to stone her. I don't want her to die for this, but I don't think that we should probably be married anymore. So well, he was, so he said, I'm going to put her away, but I'm going to do it quietly, privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name, you, Joseph, you're going to name him. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now why does that matter? Why does that matter? And here's why. Because the name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. Now, does anybody understand what I mean? When I say transliteration, anybody understand what that means? What that means is this. They simply took the name Joshua in the Hebrew, and they just made the Greek equivalent of it, right? So Jesus is the Greek equivalent of Joshua. And Joshua in the Hebrew literally means God is salvation. God is salvation. That's what it means. So that's why I wrote this. God is salvation. Jesus' name literally means God is salvation. God is the Savior. That's the point. God himself is our Savior. We are not following the religious thinking or teaching of some man who was born in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. God himself came to earth. He became flesh. You want to see this? Go to John chapter 1, and you can see it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, verse 14 goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. God is salvation. This is why your Savior matters, because God is the Savior, and you need to be, be able to understand that. So that's number one. So much more I could say, but really for the sake of time, we're going to move on to point number two. Point number two, our Savior is the Christ. Now, I just got done pointing out that Jesus means God is salvation. Our Savior is the Christ. Point number, write this down. Point number two, our Savior is the Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 16 with me, if you would. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read verses 15 through 17. Matthew 16, just a few chapters away from where you are right now, verses 15 through 17. Now, what has been, what has been asked, they've been asked, who do people say that I am, Jesus said. And they said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elias. Some people say you're Elijah, different things. And he says in verse 15, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, now listen to this, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So who is Jesus? And this is the answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. Now, this is really significant. Now, I want to point something out. I, I point this out uh, quite often, but I really want you to get this. I want you to look at the verse, not, not, uh, not verse 16, but verse 17. Blessed. I want you to see this truth. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, look up here, please. If you go to John chapter 1, Andrew is Peter's brother. Andrew is his actual brother. And Andrew is one of the first two people that went and followed Jesus. When John, when John the Baptist was saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, Andrew was one of the first two people that went and followed Jesus. You can just go look it up. 
Now, when, when Andrew realized that Jesus was the Christ, he went, and guess who he went and got? Anybody know? His brother, whose name is Simon Peter. He went and got Simon Peter and said, come. We have met the Christ. The Messiah is here. Come see the Messiah. But notice what Jesus says. Blessed art thou, Simon of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Well, flesh and blood had actually revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Christ. His brother had said this. Now, why do I make this point? Because I can tell you all day long that Jesus is the Christ. But until God shows you that Jesus is the Christ, it'll do you no good. Because it's not about my testimony, although I am glad and, and, and happy to give my testimony that Jesus is awesome, that Jesus is marvelous, that Jesus is everything you'll ever need, and then some. But until you really know it for yourself, it'll do you no good. And who has to show you? God the Father has to show this to you. So this morning, what I'm saying to you is this. I testify to the passages that we're looking at, that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is who the Father says he is, that I am telling you that that is true, but you must see it for yourself in the Word, by yourself, from God, because he is the Christ. Now, what does that mean, that he's the Christ? And we don't have all day to look at this, but I want to show just these verses. Turn to, and you can turn here with me if you would. We'll turn, we'll turn quickly. And I won't spend a lot of time in any one of them. Genesis chapter 3. So Genesis, the first book of your Bible, right at the very beginning. There'll be very few pages before you'll get to where you are. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Now what's happened is Adam and Eve had fallen, right? Eve has been lied to by the serpent, and they have eaten what they weren't supposed to eat, and they have died. And now they are spiritually dead and God is speaking to them about what's going to happen from this point forward. And what I want you to see is this. He's speaking now to the serpent. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So what we have here is this. God promises, God promises that someone's coming that's going to rescue us all. Someone's, listen, this is so wonderful. Someone's coming who's going to be able to conquer Satan, who's going to be able to destroy sin, who's going to be able to rescue all of us, and it's going to cost him to do so, right? You shall bruise uh, his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to destroy you, and it's going to cost him to do this. Well, that's, this is a promise. This is the very beginning. Right after sin, God promises a Savior. Right after sin. Just as soon as we have failed, God promises to rescue us. Now, go on to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to Abraham. In chapter 17, God is speaking to Abraham. Genesis 17, verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Now, here's the promise of God. Please look. This is so important. Please look up here. I don't have a lot of time for this. The Word of God contains the law of God. In Exodus chapter 19, 
20, 21, 22, 23, 24, we have the introduction of what we commonly refer to as the Ten Commandments. Okay? The Ten Commandments. God gave the Ten Commandments, and he said to Israel when he gave them the Ten Commandments, if you would live like this, you would be a, a tremendous blessing to everybody around you. You would be an example to everybody around you. The problem is they're not going to be able to do this. But that covenant that God made with Israel has nothing to do with our salvation. This covenant has to do with our salvation. The everlasting covenant has to do with our salvation. Because what God is saying is this. The seed that I promised here, this seed that I promised right here, is going to come and he's going to rescue all of you. That seed, this is a promise. This is a promise God makes with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit commit themselves to rescuing us. And this is that promise right here. Now, if you want to see that, you say, hmm, are you sure that's true? Well, now again, go read the whole book of Galatians. It will help you. But let's look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Galatians 3, 16. Now, notice what it says. Listen. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, right? So this is a promise. Listen, please hear me. A promise it's something that somebody else is going to do. You believe a promise if you can believe the person that gave the promise. If you have to earn it, then it's debt, okay? Now, let's say this. How many of you go to work? Raise your hand if you go to work. All right. Put your hand down. Do they pay you? Yes or no? Let me ask you this honestly. If they didn't pay you, would you still go? I see one person raise their hand. He's lying. No, I'm just kidding. We go, listen, listen, we work to receive pay. Salvation is not of works. If you could earn it, God would give it to you. But you can't earn it because you keep on failing. So salvation is a gift. It is a promise by God. How many of you receive a gift? Raise your hand if you receive a gift. Honestly, right, nice and high. I've received gifts. How much did the gift cost you? Nothing, Right? It was given. Now listen, we are given gifts. Well, in the society in which we are, live, are living now, we are often given gifts because it's compulsory. Your birthday happens, people have to give you a gift. Okay? Uh, and, and by the way, there are many other things where times when people send you cards because Hallmark keeps making up other holidays, so we have to give each other cards because it's really good for their business. But, but gifts originally were only, they were not given on every birthday. Gifts were given as an expression of what? Love. Gifts were given as an expression of kindness, of love. Well, our salvation is a gift. God had, listen, but it wasn't free to him. This gift is free to me, but it wasn't free to God. Because our Lord Jesus is going to shed his blood, lay down his life. But what I, and what I want you to see is this. That promise, this promise right here, this promise right here. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he said not to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is what? Christ. So help me here. How many Christs are there? How many messiahs are there? How many promised ones are there? And the answer is one. The reason that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, is because he is the only way. But who can have that way? And the answer is everyone. 
Everyone can have that way. If you will receive the seed, if you will receive the Messiah, if you will receive the Christ. Remember, God is salvation, and God came. He is the promised one. I have come to set you free. That's what God wants you to know. Now, now I want you to see this as the last thing here. And this is really remarkable to me. And the woman said unto him, now this woman is the woman at the well. The woman at the well is a Samaritan. The Samaritans are outcasts. The Israelites have nothing to do with them. They live on the wrong side of the tracks, if you understand what I'm saying. These are half-breeds. They are half-Hebrew, and they marry Gentiles, and they weren't supposed to, and so, the, and so they are literally disowned. Well, this woman is a five-six-time adulterer, meaning she has been with so many different men that she's an outcast of the outcast. That's how she's viewed. And yet Jesus loves her. And goes specifically into Samaria, waits in the heat of the day to meet this woman to save her. And this is the conversation that he has to, with her. Part, in the, partway through that conversation, the woman, you have to go find, read the whole thing in order to see it. But it says, the woman said unto him, I know that what? Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. So here's what she's saying. You guys, you Hebrews, you have an idea of how we should worship God. We Samaritans, we have a different, slightly different version. But here's what I know. There's one that can be trusted. There's one that can be trusted. And notice what he says to her. By the way, she's the first one he reveals this to. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Isn't that wonderful? See, our Savior is the Christ. See, what, the reason I mention this is this. This is not a new thing. People say that those that follow Jesus follow a, re, a religion, quote-unquote, that's only 2,000 years old. Well, that's not true at all. What we believe is what the Word of God says all the way back here. At the very beginning, when we fell, at the very beginning, God promised a seed that was going to come and rescue us, and he is that seed. So what we're doing, we're, when I follow Jesus as the Christ, it's because Jesus is the Christ. And because he is the promise of God, he fulfills all the promises of God. Literally every single I would, I would that I had the time, I would that I had the ability, and I would you had the ears to listen as we just stood here and told you how great Jesus is over and over and over and over. But if you want to see it, just read your Bible. You know, before I was saved, I was reading my Old Testament because God had been dealing with my heart. I read all the New Testament, and then I said, well, yeah, I should go back and read the Old Testament. So I was reading the Old Testament, and as I was reading my Bible unsaved, I kept thinking this. How do the Hebrews not realize that Jesus is the Messiah? How do they not? Every single bit of their Bible is pointing to how Jesus is the Messiah. The temple points to it. The, the offerings point to it. Every single thing points to who Jesus actually is, and that's because he is the Christ. Point number three, our Savior loves us. And this is, this is it. Okay, so point number one, God is salvation. Point number two, our Savior is the Christ. Point number three, our Savior loves us. John read this passage. Turn to John chapter three. Everybody, almost everybody, knows John chapter three, verse 16. But let's look at it in its context. John chapter three and verse 13. John chapter three and verse 13. And no man has ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, which is just telling us how he's going to die. He's going to be lifted up. He's going to die on a cross. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice, for God so loved the world. And this is, listen, look up here. This is, this, this so loved, so loved could be expressed two different ways. It could either be in this way or so much. That's what you could say. For God so loved. You could either say, for God in this way loved, or for God so much loved. And you know what? In this passage, it means both. For God in this way expresses his love because he so much loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds might be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Now, I remember, we all know John 3.16. I don't think anybody has, has not at some point in their life heard John 3.16. But when I was reading this in the context, before I was saved, and I got to verse 21, notice this. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. I did not understand this. I understood verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. I understood that. I was a sinner before I was saved, and I knew it. I knew I was a sinner. I knew that I had done things wrong. I knew that God knew that I had done things wrong, and I knew that eventually I was going to have to stand before him, but not today. And so I just avoided God. I didn't go to church. I didn't say hang around people that were Christians because I knew there was coming a day when I was going to have to give an account for everything that I had done, but it wasn't going to be today until somebody told me that God loved me, until somebody explained to me what's going on here. And this is what was said. You are guilty, and you are condemned, right? You are condemned. The verse before that says you're condemned already, you are. But God so loves you that he'll rescue you, that he'll take your condemnation away. Now, so, so what is verse 21 saying? But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. And here's those deeds. I'm going to take these two things that will help you. Boy, this helps me so much every time I say this. So let's say this is, let's just say that this is your life, Okay. This is your life. Everything, now by, and, and every time I say this, I, I recognize that it would be a huge mound of paper full of all of your sins. This is everything you've ever done wrong is right here. And everything Jesus has ever done wrong is right here. And this could be a single sheet of white paper, okay, because he's done nothing wrong. Now, what this is saying is this. Those of us that want truth, all we have to do is honestly come before God and say, if I understand correctly, you so loved me that you gave your only begotten son so that I could give you my sin and you could give me his righteousness. And that's what salvation is, right there. It's just that simple. Everything I've ever done wrong, Jesus says, it is finished. Everything I've ever done, Jesus has paid for. And instead of having my wickedness, Jesus says, now look, 
I'm going to stand before God the Father, and I'm going to hold your sin. I'm going to die on the cross holding your sin. When you stand before my Father, hand this to him instead. Man, what a good deal. And it's not a good deal. It's a great deal. So instead of having all of my sin and wickedness, all of my selfishness, not just all that I'd done before he saved me, but all that I would ever do wrong, Jesus paid it all. And instead, I have his righteousness. This is what God is saying. Why? Why would God do that? And this is the answer, because our Savior loves us. Now, now there is a question that comes after that, and I've been asked this question many, many times. In fact, if, if, I hadn't, if I didn't answer it right now, somebody would come up after this and ask me. And this would be it. But why does God love us? And this is the answer to that question. I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Here's what I have found about being conformed to the image of Christ. Forgiveness is something that God does. And God changing me to be like Jesus causes me to be forgiving myself. Do you understand? God has so changed me that he has changed the way I treat other people. That's how powerful God is. God is so powerful that he changes the way we treat each other. That's how powerful he is. But he didn't have to change himself to love us. He simply loves us. I don't understand why, but he does. Now, just a couple of things. We'll go through them quickly. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. You may have a friend that you would lay down your life for. You know, you have a friend who's dying of something, and you say, well, I'll give, you, I'll give my organs to save their life, right? Well, you could die doing this. That's okay. I will die doing this if it will save them, right? Because we might, for a righteous person, somebody we love, someone we care about, we might be willing to die. Peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. That's true. But God commendeth or demonstrates or shows his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I had done nothing right, Jesus died for me. When I was not looking for God, he was rescuing me. Amen? I'll tell you what. This, you know, we're going to get to the end of this. The last, it, it probably makes perfect sense to everybody. But the last thing we're going to do is we're going to sing that he's worthy. And you want to know why? Because he is worthy. Because when I was doing nothing right at all, Jesus was dying for me. Now, by the way, let me look up here. I do not understand why we can't forgive one another. I do not, I do not understand running around the streets, hating each other, yelling and screaming and, and on this side. and that. I, do not, I do not understand it when God so loved us that he forgave us for everything we've ever done wrong. That kind of forgiveness changes our lives. Because of God's great forgiveness, we can say, I don't want this to be held against them, right? What do we see Jesus saying? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. What do we see Stephen saying as he's being stoned? Lord, don't lay this to their charge. Please, whatever they're guilty of, don't count this. And I really believe if all of us lived the lives that God would have us to live, we would want nobody to ever be judged for anything that they've done to us. Why? Because Jesus forgave me for everything. You've never done anything to me that's half as bad as what I've done to Jesus. So whatever you've done to me, I can forgive you. I can forgive you because Jesus forgave me. That's what God is doing. Hereby, hereby verse, uh, 1 John chapter uh, 3, verse 16, hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Simple, right? Why would I live differently? And the answer is because he lived differently, that's why. And because he is so great, he's changing our lives. His love is making us loving. And then 1 John 4, 9, in this was manifest the love of God toward us 
Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. We have a whole new life because of what Jesus has done. And that brings us to number four. Our Savior makes us new. Point number four. Our Savior makes us new. This is supposed to be new. How do you represent new? I just figured some kind of white thing, right? Okay. Okay. This is, this is, this is a brand new beautiful cloth. I'm not sure what it's supposed to be, but there it is. Okay. That's what new looks like. In case you want to, if you're ever doing this later and you want to do new, just do that, okay? If you've got something better, come tell me later and I'll change the picture. Turn to John chapter 1. This is really important. John chapter 1. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is where we, this is where this happens. This is such an important passage. It's a very, very poorly known passage for some reason in American Christianity. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Let's read it together. That was the true light, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Let's stop there for just a moment. Do you realize, listen, look, let's read it. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every single person has the light of conscience in their life. When you were little and you threw your Cheerios on the floor because you didn't want to eat it, you knew what you had done was wrong. Your conscience bothered you. When you were young and you did things you weren't supposed to do, you knew it was wrong. Even if you didn't think you were going to get caught, it still bothered you. Now, you can sear that. You can put that away. You can stop letting it bother you. But Jesus lighteth every person that comes into the world. Every single person, Jesus gives us a conscience. And guess what? Your conscience is a good thing. Right? T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and then grace my fears relieved. God wants us to know something's wrong so he can rescue us from that which is wrong. And that's why I want you to see that. So now, so he lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, right? Christ came into the world, and, he was, and, and, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now here's what I want you to see. As many as received him, how do I become a new creature? How do I get made new? And the answer is, receive him, right? As many as received him. If you will trust, listen, this is so important. I, you can come talk to me afterwards, and I will talk to you, but I can't make you a new creature. Only Jesus can do this. Now, notice what it says. This is important. Watch how this is, this is so clear. To them, to who? Those that receive him. To them gave he authority. In other words, permission. He's the one that said, you can be changed. You trust me, you can be changed to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now notice this, which were born of God. This is important. Born of God. Born of God. But notice how we're not born, which were born not of blood. Now what does that mean? And that's what, this is what that means. Sitting right there with a green polka dot on his chest right now is my son, my son Andrew, right? When Andrew was born, when he, Andrew was born, both his mother and I were already saved. When Andrew was born, we were saved. But him being born 
of our blood, in other words, him being in my bloodline, it did make him my son, but it didn't make him a Christian. Do you understand? You cannot be saved being born into a family where the people already are saved. That's not how it works. And not of the will of the flesh. Not of the will of the flesh. Now, what does that mean? You can't make yourself. You say, I really want to be a Christian. You can't make yourself one. You can't. No matter how hard you try, you can never make yourself born again. You can't. You can't be born again because you're my son. You can't be born again by your efforts. And then you say, well, then I'll go see the preacher because he can help me. And it says, nope, nor of the will of what? Man. Now, let me ask you this. If you came to me and said, preacher, I really want to go to heaven, can you make me a new creature? Can you save me? I would say, I, I would love to. I, and I really would. I would love to. I would love to help you. But here's the truth. I can't. I can't. But here's the good news. I know who can. Do you see? Right? Let's look at it again. Not born of blood. Andrew's not saved because I'm his father. Nor the will of the flesh. Andrew can't save him, nor the will of man. Andrew couldn't go see his best friend, and he could save him. Nope. But guess who can? God can. Our Savior makes us new. Our Savior makes us new. When he saves us, he makes us new people. Now look at these verses. You can just write them down. We're running out of time, and I realize that. And I uh, have two more points. Mm, mm, mm. It is what it is, right? It is what it is. I knew this was going to be hard. And these are, and there are so many more points, but anyway. <clears throat> Verily, this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a highly religious man. Nicodemus, who's done everything you can do. If you could go to heaven by your effort, Nicodemus is going to heaven, but he's not. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, I know who you are. And Jesus said to him, No, you don't. No, no. You're going to have to trust me that you don't know this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, though, so Nicodemus wasn't. Now, Nicodemus does get saved, by the way, but he's not saved in this passage. In 1 Corinthians 5, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we read this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if you are in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things are what? Passed away. We use that phrase. It's a euphemism. He passed away, right? What does it mean? They died, right? If someone, you, if someone who you love and somebody else loves has, has died, and, you, and you're the one that tells them, you don't say, Grandma died. You say, Grandma passed away, right? Why? Because it just sounds nicer. It just sounds easier. This is the idea. This phrase right here, old things are passed away. That's where we get it from. Because that literally means they're dead. They're dead. If you're a new creature, old things are what? They're dead. Why do we still live that way then? Because we don't believe God. The power of God in us changes us, and it really does. Behold, all things are what? Become new. How much? All things have become new. When, listen, this is so, listen, I, I, I know some of you have heard this, but some of you haven't. And somebody you know really needs to understand this. Our Savior makes us new. Our Savior makes us new. If you're saved, you are new. You say, well, I'm not living like I'm new. That's your fault. It's not his fault. He has the power to make all things new. You're already dead. Your sins are already judged. Sin no longer has dominion over you. It doesn't because Jesus lives within you. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And then John 13, 
34, a new commandment I have given unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. Why do I include this? Because the truth is, because Jesus makes us new, we can now. The last one was that, that our Savior loves us. Now this is the truth. Because he makes us new. This is so wonderful. I already said it, but this is so wonderful. Because he makes us new, you can love me, and I can love you. Now listen, look, look, look up here. Uh, Don said this in Sunday school. He said, I came to church, and I was having a great day. Kenny picked all the right songs, and the choir was a blessing, and the sermon was worth listening to. And then afterwards, I was just getting ready to leave, and everything was wonderful, and I got in a conversation with someone, and they, were, and they said something wrong, right? Now, that's their fault. They said something wrong. If they had been a better Christian, my day would have continued to go wonderful. But they weren't a better Christian, and so they said something wrong, and they ruined my day, and now I've responded poorly. But it's not my fault. It's their fault. But see, here's the truth. A new commandment I give unto you. Why? Because you are new. A new commandment I give unto you that you what? Love one another. How? As I have loved you, that you love one another. Well, how did he love me? When I was a jerk, he loved me. When I failed, he loved me. When I couldn't do anything right, he loved me. So what he says is this, I've made you new when the people around you fail, what? Love them. How? Because I live in you. And I have the be that kind of a person. Point number five, our Savior gives us eternal life. John chapter 10, write, write these verses down. We are running out of time. I am going to have to end probably. I think what I'll do, I'm not sure how we'll do it, but we're going to come back to uh, points five and six, and that might let me do number seven, which I wanted to do anyway. So, point number five, our Savior gives us eternal life. Turn to, let's just turn here. We'll end here. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This is hard. This is, I would far rather preach, if you would, than uh, do what we're doing right now. But I really want you to be able to take these home with you. By the way, you, can, well, you can't get this keynote because it's probably going to get changed before I finish it in a couple of weeks. But when it's done, you'll be welcome to get, get a hold of it. If you see James on your way out, he'll give you a copy of it probably now. But it'll be a little bit different. Uh, our Savior gives us eternal life. John chapter 10, verse 24. John chapter 10, verse 24. <clears throat> then came the Jews round about him and said unto how long dost thou make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered and said, I told you, and you believe me not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe me not, because you are not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I, give, excuse me, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, look, we're going to close with this. I'm going to come back to this. But I want you to see this, just this right now. You will talk to people about how wonderful Jesus is, and they will not hear you. This passage makes it very clear that everybody won't. Not everybody will is how I should say that. Not everyone will hear the truth. Now, that's, a, that's between them and God. Do you understand? Look, please hear me. Look up here. Look, don't get angry with them. Don't be mean to them. Understand, you speak to them, and they don't believe what you say. That's between them and God. Now, you don't know that they will never believe. You don't know that they will never believe. But that's between them and God. But you can say this. 
Because of what God has done for me, I have eternal life. But look, look, if you really have this eternal life, then it's changed you. And because it's changed you, you can love them. And because of the power of God, I don't have to live the way I did before. But this eternal life, I'm never going to, what's it say? And they shall what? Never perish. If you're, if you're saved, if you're, sa- if you're a new creature, if Jesus is your Savior, your Savior gives you eternal life. Eter- look, please hear me. There are so many Christians trying to earn favor with God still. Jesus earned favor with God for you, right? How did he do that? He took you and paid for it. And he gave you him instead. Don't try to earn favor with God. The only way you can earn favor with God is to trust Christ for your salvation. The only way you can have favor with God after you've trusted Christ for your salvation is just keep rejoicing in how great Jesus is himself. Father, thank you for giving us this time together this morning. Lord, I I ask you that you would just use your word and help many with it. Lord, I thank you for the truths that we've seen together this morning. And I am so very aware, I'm so very aware of how poorly, Lord, I believe I express these things. But I thank you for your love to us, Lord. I thank you for so great a salvation. Lord, I thank you that you've shown us so many wonderful truths about our Savior. Lord, would you cause each and every person that's here, that's here right now, and those that were just uh, listening, watching, whatever it was, and those that will hear it later, that everyone will realize how great Jesus is, that they will trust Christ. Lord, that everyone here who is dealing with their salvation as if their salvation is something, may they understand their salvation is nothing unless they have the Savior. Lord, cause us to lay hold of what this means and to rejoice in it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.